And now on Radio Maria England, we present Awakenings, Testimonies of Faith and Conversion. Welcome to this Awakenings. I'm Father Sam Randall. This is Radio Mirror England. And your program you're listening to is Awakenings, Testimonies of Faith and Conversion. I know that this is one of the more popular programs on Radio Maria, so thank you for listening. We do get a wonderful variety of stories, and we've got a very interesting story today. And my guest is Deborah van Kroenenberg. Hello, Deborah. Hello, Father Sam. Did I get your surname correct? Yes, you did. Thank you. Beautiful. Is it yeah. Dutch originally? It is Dutch, yes. It's my husband's name, so I'm not Dutch, but that's where it's from. Okay, yeah. you're borrowing his name. Yes. There you go. That's nice. So, um, right. Uh, that's, that's wonderful. So, Deborah, you and I have uh, never physically met, but we have been in touch, haven't we? Yes, we have. And we've yeah. got... Um, uh, Certainly at least one wonderful mutual friend who's probably listening to this now. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think Cyprian, who has been, I think he might have been my first guest. Was he my first guest on Awakenings? He might have been. I don't know if you ever heard that. Um, he's encouraged you to come. And uh, I'm so pleased that, that we managed to talk you into it. I think, <laughs> can I say, Deborah, a little reluctantly, is that all right? <laughs> Yes. yes, it's very kind of you to have me. Oh, well, no, it's, it's a blessing to us, I can tell you. It's lovely. So um, would you begin by telling us a bit about your childhood? Um, and I would like to know, I know you're, you're speaking to us from Plymouth, aren't you? Well, no, I'm in Plymouth Diocese, but I'm right, actually right. Um, near Torquay. Okay, so we're okay. two and a half miles away from the sea here. And I'm a long way from the place where I was born. I was born in the city of York. Right. Um, like many people at that time, you know, it was a Christian family, but it was the sort of childhood where that wasn't something that was spoken about. You know, we had it at school and uh, I was taken, baptised in the Church of England on Easter Sunday. That's nice. Taken to church on some Sundays when it was a suitable time to take a child. Um, and yes, I, I think I always had a sense of God. Um, but I, it was very strange. As I say, I was born in York, um, but it was 50 years before I even walked into Margaret Clitheroe's house. So I had no sense of a Catholic heritage. And yet I was drawn to this word. Um, and I think, as I remember, I remember being told about some people who were Catholics and strange stories would circulate. We were told that if, if they ever took the scaffolding off York Minster, they had to give it back to the Catholics. <laughs> What? Uh, really? <laughs> I don't know where it came from. Right. Um, I had no idea what these people were, and yet I knew I would be one. It's That's very wonderful. strange. Uh, you know, and so it wasn't a very intellectual reason, was it? Uh, um, it's all of the heart in the end, isn't it? Yeah. So, But it, it was a long time before I stepped in that direction. But, um, I mean, one thing I do remember very vividly was we had some guests staying in the house. We had some children and they were from Ireland and the church had arranged to send them for a holiday. It was a very 
difficult time for them at that time. And these two little girls came on holiday to stay with the family. My parents were very kind. And um, I looked in my book, my girl guidebook, and it said that Catholics have to go to church every Sunday. I thought, oh, that's novel, every single Sunday. <laughs> so I told my mother this. I said, do you realize they have to go to church? Really, it was me that wanted to take them. And um, she said, no, they're on holiday. They, they don't have to go. Um, and I said, yes, even if they're on holiday, they have to go. They really have to go. <laughs> so in the end, and there, there was no way my parents would have gone there. You know, they, they had um, a sort of um, a suspicion, really. You know, I think they felt quite dubious about that. So I put the two girls on a bus and took them to St. Wilfred's in York. Wow. Hadn't a clue what happened in there. I just remember lights, candles, and I don't even think I understood the language. I'm, I'm trying to remember, but um, I knew I'd be back. <laughs> so you knew? Okay, wonderful. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it was wonderful. So, yeah, that was a strange thing about childhood, really. And um, prayer being a very natural part of it. As I said, we, we didn't speak in the house about God because that was sort of, embarrassing if you know what I mean so there wasn't um we didn't say grace or anything there was always a bible in the house and I was given a children's bible which had wonderful pictures in mm. uh, and I can describe some of those pictures to you now so the visual was very important although there wasn't a lot in the church <clears throat> there were no stained glass windows in the church I went to the only thing I do remember was that above the sanctuary there was a blue plate and it had a Madonna and child. And I remember looking at this plate and feeling very moved. Um, and I did have a sense of Mary, but she wasn't a person that, that was mentioned much either. Um, it was very solid, but um, the visual, the sensual, the, the lights, the sounds, the, the sense um, weren't there. No. Um, what about music? Did that... Is that yeah, evocative for the, you? The music was, um, I had all the, the English hymnal, and we always had um, an act of, of worship at school, so I grew up with all the traditional hymns. But there was one um, I heard at church, and I think that was one of the moments that, that changed me, one of the moments that, that opened a doorway into something else. Um, and that's a hymn, um, people will know it, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep oh, Silent. beautiful, yeah. And it's, I understand it's from a very, very ancient piece of liturgy. Um, and it, it speaks of our Lord, you know, coming. It's very Eucharistic. And I remember being so drawn to that hymn. And I remember I would go back and look at the words, you know. Um, and at school, one of our teachers um, had us memorise Isaiah chapter 6. You know, each one had six wings. Oh, yeah. Isaiah's vision. Yes, that's right. In yeah. the year that Isaiah died, yeah. I, saw I, I saw the Lord high and yeah, lifted up. And he, yeah, his train yeah. filled the temple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just great. It's just wonderful. And, and these were the, the seraphim with the six wings. Yeah. Um, and this was here in this hymn. But it was about the body and the blood, in the body and the blood. Um, and even at that age, I remember thinking, there is something here. It, it, it's, it's like opening a, a door, a portal into another dimension. And I thought, there is more here. 
um, and I couldn't say what it was, but mm. but something drew me. So that hymn was very important. In fact, quite recently, I went to a parish in Plymouth and was talking to catechists there. And we were talking about preparing children for First Holy Communion. And I said, do you know, you um, may not know what it feels like not to have the real presence. Because as a child, that wasn't something that I was given. Um, but when I learned about it, when I discovered it, when I sensed it, it was so exciting that I can't get over it. <laughs> and I think for many Catholics who've always who've grown up with it, who've known it, maybe they're quite cool about it. But I find myself getting really excited and I think, oh, dear. <laughs> Sorry. No, it is beautiful. I mean, it's true. If you don't have that background, I mean, you have to think about it all. And uh, yes. yeah, it's quite lovely. Now, I yeah. know York quite well. Actually, I was ordained in York Cathedral in York Minster. Ah, oh. uh, oh. So I, I know the city and the area quite well. Yeah. There's a lovely Catholic church there, though, the Bar Convent. Did you ever yeah. come across that uh, as oh, a child? Yeah. yeah, well, as a child, the Bar Convent was a school. So You I, I went knew... to that school? Oh, no, no, because I, oh, no, that's the last place I would have been sent. No, my... <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, yeah, very Catholic. Catholic yeah. <laughs> no. um, but I, I did... I remember some children going there and, and again, you know, I had no idea what happened, what a Catholic school was really. But since, since then, in quite recent years, I've been and stayed at the Bar Convent oh, and beautiful. it's wonderful. It's and true. of course they have Margaret Clitheroe's hand, they have the relic there, don't they? They do. Uh, I, I, it's not on display, is it, if I remember correctly? It's um, in I have seen it there. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it there. It's a wonderful Baroque chapel. Um, yeah. Before I became a Catholic, I mean, that was a place I loved to go. And it's a nice place. Listeners, if you're ever around York, it's good for tea and cake, isn't it? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's great for tea and cake. So you can see uh, see a wonderful relic, pray and have tea and cake. It's yes. it's very civilised, very nice, isn't it? Oh, and did you go into her house, into Margaret Clitheroe's house? You didn't. Did you? Oh, yeah, on the shambles, yeah. Yes, that's yeah. right. I mean, yeah. yeah, the whole thing is extraordinary. It's a, it's, that's a very bustling, very bustling place, full yeah. of tourists. But yes. that's got such peace in it. Yes, yes. Hasn't it? It's, yes. It's a, it's a real retreat, and it's just a step away. But it's like the Lord, isn't he? It's just yes. a step away. Our life are full of noise and bustle. Yes. And we're called just to step out of it into step the silence. Inside. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. And, yeah. and there you are in that beautiful place. Yeah, yeah, it is. They have a mass there on Saturday mornings. But as I said, it was many, many years before I even discovered it. And yeah. um, it you can walk past it, can't you? It's rather, it's like the Lord uh, when you think about it. How many people walk past God yes. and didn't yeah. know, didn't oh. realize? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, um, so no Catholics really at school. And, um, oh. So uh, after school, what happened to you? Right. So, yeah, so, so it didn't come in there. And, um, yeah, so I went to Manchester University okay. to begin with. And um, I was actually studying religious studies at that point. Um, and I think, to be absolutely honest, I had drifted away from my own faith. I... Um, 
it was a time when I was fascinated by everything, but it wasn't necessarily Christianity. You know, that, that associated that with my childhood, and it was a bit austere, uh, you know, a little bit okay. austere to me. And I think I was drawn to sort of perhaps more exotic things and even what you would now call, you know, new age spiritualities. Oh, right. okay. Very okay. interested in spiritualities um, and many different ones. Um, and that's where I was drawn, although I hadn't completely lost my faith. Um, it was very different. It, it, I suppose it's it's that sort of searching time. Um, but um, all did not go well for me because um, I was engaged to be married to a man I loved very, very much. And he died quite suddenly. Um, and I was sort of um, thrown back, really, into what I can only call darkness. Um, yeah. And I went back to York, actually, and stayed there and worked there for a while, trying to work out what on earth to do. Um, and I would say I was really lost at that time. I sort of wandered between um, the man I loved, you know, who was a who was a Christian, and he was a Welsh man, Emrys. And I would sort of drift between York and Wales, not knowing really, you know, what to do because I'd got a whole life planned out. Yeah. And and trying to work it out, um, and I thought I couldn't go on to study again at that point. I, my mind was just in chaos, really. Um, it was a very dark time. So you hadn't uh, finished your degree? Oh no, no, I didn't finish. No. no. Just for our uh, listeners, um, your fiance, I think he died on Valentine's Day, didn't he? Just before your twenty-first birthday. It was February the 14th, and it was three days before my 21st birthday, and our wedding date was going to be April the 18th. Uh, it's an anniversary, you know, I of don't know. Um, so, and it was completely unexpected. Um, and I don't know, I didn't sort of... Um, perhaps it would have been different now. Perhaps you would have had a lot of counselling. I didn't at that time. I think the only thing that somebody said to me that, that I did sort of hold on to was work hard. And I've been doing that ever since. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, which is probably, I don't know, it's maybe not the right thing to do. But um, through all that, in the end, I decided to go and study nursing. And it was a thing I never thought I would do. Um, and yet somehow, ah, I don't know, it, it felt right. And I wrote to a few different places and Cambridge was the place that okay. I decided to go, um, Addenbrooke's Hospital. Right. Um, and I remember getting there and thinking, what am I doing? You know, but in a way, I suppose it's, it takes you out of your own issues, doesn't it? And gives you somebody else to think about. Um yeah. And yeah, that's how I came to be doing that. Big changes and, for you. Huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it was. I, I was not in a good place, really. And I hadn't resolved any of the grief. I, you know, I used to write poetry. I used to paint um, because painting was the only time when I could sort of stop grieving. Um, right. um, the only other time when I was working and really had to focus on somebody else's needs. And I learned a lot in that way. And I remember thinking, um, what shall I do when Christmas comes? And I volunteered to work. And that really changed everything. And that has stayed with me because, um, as you will know, in hospital at Christmas, you know, people that can go home do. And I remember sort of sitting beside a lady who was very poorly and thinking, Deborah, really, you know, 
forget it all because actually there are so many needs you know there there are people who are suffering so much that actually it, it's time you you know um yes but I, uh, even when you're so wounded i think you describe yourself like a ghost yes yes yeah. i did feel it wasn't a real you see i was only um 21 22 by the time i got to cambridge and mm. all my contemporaries lived in a different world you yeah. know, I almost yeah. sort of related to people in their 70s. Um, and in fact, I even found I wasn't invited to people's weddings. And it was, I felt I was sort of almost like a, <laughs> yes, like a ghost in, in a half-life, sort of drifting between places. Right. Um, and yeah, that was really, but in the middle of it all, and the sequences all, you know, I'd love to say I was like St. Augustine, you know, I was one thing, then I was another, and I was saved and, you know, completely reformed, but I, I wasn't, because I did become a Catholic, and yet I still um, lived in a way that, you know, I'm not proud of, that was chaotic, Um Apart from work, which I, you know, I did give myself to that. Right. But um, I think the listeners want to know how you became a Catholic. But so yes. let's have a little break now. Uh, I'm, we're going to play John Michael Talbot's No Longer Strangers. And then you can tell us, Deborah, how you became a Catholic, even even a poor Catholic, a Catholic nonetheless. <laughs> All right. Once you were strangers to the covenant, the promise of God. Born without hope, you were without God in this world. We once were far. back or if you've just joined us i'm father sam randall this is radio maria england and you're listening to awakenings testimonies of faith and conversion and with uh, me for this program i've got deborah van krudenberg deborah's been describing her childhood and um then into a degree and 
then the tragic loss of her fiancé and falling not just into nurse training, but also into spiritual poverty, really, and uh, um, a sense of loss and being lost. But she becomes a Catholic. So, Deborah, tell us how you became a Catholic. Yeah, I- Happily, it makes me very happy actually to think back to, to that moment. Well, I was in Cambridge, and so I was able to go to um, Church of Our Lady and English Martyrs. All right. Um, I don't know what it's like now, but in those days there were many masses. And when you're um, working for the NHS, you work long, strange hours. But I was able to um, cycle to mass at 7 a.m. and be at these beautiful, quiet masses. And um, so I went and then there came a day when I just walked along the road to the presbytery door um, and I can still see the door now in my mind and knocked on the door prepared to to speak Um, and I think it was a lady that answered the door and I just said I want to be a Catholic (laughs) (laughs) Um, very abruptly and the the priest there at that time Father Francis Salmon he was wonderful um, a young priest, and he began instructing me. Um, and that's as simple as it was. In those days, we didn't have, now people go to RCIA and that they're part of a community. Um, I, I didn't have a sense of being part of a community. I used to go to these, I often worked at weekends, and I would go to these quiet masses during the week. Um, but I had a sense of, of tiptoeing in, really. You know, there was no sort of Easter vigil with them. Um, okay with all the grandeur of the ritual to welcome me. But that was fine because um, of where I was and who I was. I wanted to tiptoe in. So it was arranged that on July the 22nd, the Feast of Mary, Mary Magdalene, Magdalene, yeah, yeah, which I, I chose, uh, you know, I loved her, um, I would be received in an evening mass. And um, I think there was probably about 10 people. Um, I did go home to York and... <laughs> I said to my parents, um, you know, look, I I have to tell you, I'm going to become a Catholic. And uh, I remember my parents saying, yeah, right, we always knew you'd do it. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) And bless them, because actually they live with us now. It's it's incredible the way life works out. Um, And they said to me, but, you know, don't bring our grandchildren up as Catholics. And I thought, well, what do I do with, with the basket when I go to, to Mass? But never mind, anyway. Um, yes, it, it's strange how things work out. Um, but yes, I, w- I was instructed there and received on that. It was a beautiful summer evening. I, I can see the sunlight. And it was a little chapel um, to the side. Oh, yes, I know. What year was that then, Deborah? Um, 1975, I think. Okay. Yeah, right. 19- Yes, a long time ago. But yeah, I remember it very well. And um, yes, that that was was quiet entry into the church. There were many ups and downs after that. But But what about um, spiritually? I mean, in addition to the priest uh, instructing you, um, how did you enrich your life spiritually or explore prayer? It it was um, it was about going to those masses. I did go. I made a trip to Rome. Wow, um, okay. A bit of money given and, and went to Rome and, and I asked the, the parish priest there where to go. And I remember him saying, go to the catacombs of Priscilla, I think it was. I remember standing in the catacombs. And um, yes, just trying to engage really and, and going to the mass. But um, 
I didn't know many Catholic people. I I seem to remember going on a retreat at Kings Lynn. I think there was um. This is all a bit vague, isn't it? But I, I do remember going for a few days on retreat. Okay. But I'm sorry to say that at that stage, my mind was still... Um, of course. You know, still, I would say now, looking back with the knowledge I have, not at all healed, and yet still... Bereavement, yeah. Yes, yeah. But, I, but I was clinging to the Lord. So, um, yes, it, it, it was it was very... It was very special, and and I did have, you know, I did have a foundation now, which I'd totally lost, you know. So perhaps I wasn't a ghost. I think I think there were signs along your road because I I think we're going to talk later about um, Carmel, and your. But I think Carmel began to enter your life, didn't it, at this early stage? Very early, actually. But you know, I didn't even know there was a religious. I feel very ignorant when you become a Catholic as an adult and you have had no contact with that culture um you you are you feel quite ignorant well i did anyway i remember finding a rosary and saying to somebody how does this work what is it you know what what does it do um and you know having a first rosary um and in a similar way i was in heifer's bookshop i don't know if it's still there i suppose it is um in cambridge yeah and i found a second hand book i think it was published 1952 it's on my bookcase now, actually. And it was called Three Mystics. And two of the mystics were St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. And it just gave extracts from their writing. And um, I opened that book. And again, it was like another portal. Um, I was in another place of 16th century Spain, but um, in the sense of it was a bit like the hymn. There was something there I recognized. And they're obviously, you know, accounts of mystical experiences, but just something in the poetry yeah. and in their writing that really spoke to me. As I say, I didn't even know about the order of Carmel or that there are secular Carmelites. Um, I had no idea. And I sort of, um, I did buy the complete works of St. John of the Cross at that time. Mm. And I bought books by Teresa of Avila, but it it didn't ever occur to me at that stage that I might be part of all this. It was just something beautiful that I wanted to. It's, a, um, it's a wonderful looking back, though, isn't it? God gives you these sort of signposts. Oh, yes, it is. It's wonderful. And I feel it's funny. I was thinking about talking to you this morning and I thought, you know, the word that comes out most of all is gratitude, really. Beautiful. And it's when you look back that you think oh, so much to be grateful for. <laughs> uh, Deborah, I need to ask you, who's the third mystic? Ah, uh, that was um, Goya. Okay. Was it? Yeah. Uh, no, El Greco. Sorry. El so Greco. El Greco, the the yeah. wonderful um, painter. Yeah. Yeah, Extraordinary. that's right. And yes. he's yeah not associated with Carmel though. No, no, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I mean, he he's in there because of the art, but I mean, I'm afraid it was Teresa and John that. Uh, no, I, I understand. Yeah. I understand. Um, I, I, when I came across that saying in St. John of the Cross, when he was asked about his conversion, he, uh, he, he quotes a line from the Latin Vulgate, secretum meo me, meaning my secret is for myself. It's quite hard, isn't it, to describe yeah. yes. the, all the contours of yes. our lives. Yes. Um, yes. But we look yeah. back at, and there are clear signposts, like this one for you, pointing to Carmel. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, it's true. When you look back, 
they are there. I mean, I used to think a conversion, as I said before, was a, yeah. was one yeah. moment. Um, but maybe I'm a slow learner. It's taken a long time. Oh, no, it's a, it's an ongoing process. We're still in on the road. We're still on the road. I completely empathise, by the way, about Catholic things and rosaries and everything. I, I understand. Yes. Yeah. When you're brought up as an Anglican, that's not something yes. you do always. So come on. So on to this. Um Let's move move you along to uh, so you become a Catholic, but it, um, there are still things, irregularities, and surprises and odd directions. Yes, um, oh. in your life, but you've become a mother. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and um, oh, talking about gratitude. I mean that that's indescribable, um, indescribable gratitude, really, for um, for having children and that that moment. And again. Um, yeah, it, it's another of those points along the way that's so important, you know, when you, your first child in your arms yeah. um, and has remained important because it's been the basis of my work, really, um, and my study. Um, and it's it's almost been um, parallel lines. Um, oh, dear. And yet they Lovely. come together, parallel lines between being a mother and, and all that that entails, you know, the yeah. sheer hard work and the... Um, the, the beautiful moments, the sacred gaze, and the yeah, and the spiritual life as well. Because mm. from the first moment, looking into a child's eyes and seeing, um, well, now this is this will be difficult. This gaze is difficult for me to put into words. It's very visual, and I'm sitting here and I'm seeing it, and it's very difficult to convey that <laughs> through the medium of radio. Um, but if you imagine um, mother and newborn, you know, it's there within minutes of birth. Yeah. And if you imagine that moment and that what happens, I mean, I was a midwife for many years. I was at many births, really privileged to, to be at many births, as well as having my own children. And there is a moment, usually, when the child, the newborn, locates the face of the mother. And it's a moment of stillness and recognition. Um, and the unborn child can hear and, and knows the the voice and the voices around because it's, you know, you can have a room full of people, but the child will still when the he, she hears the parent's voice. But the moment of recognizing the face, and of course, the, the, they see um, just a short distance that their vision is very clear. And it's when that gaze locks, as it were, then there is something else. Mystical. A wonder in the mother's eyes mm. and a wonder in the child's eyes. And um, it's not, you know, it's not a relationship that's just about food or survival or warmth or even just about attachment. There's something else. Yeah. And I think from seeing it for myself and seeing it in others, I began to think, this is prayer. Um, this is how... God is looking at us, and if we return the gaze, then this is how we gaze at him. It's beautiful. Do you know that verse um, where we're described as the apple of his eye? Ah, oh, yes. 
Yeah. I mean, just listeners, that means you can see yourself reflected in the iris of the, of the person you're staring at. And that's yeah. how close God is to us. Yes. Yeah. And he's looking at each of you with intense love and longing. Isn't that right, Deborah? Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? Isn't it's it beautiful. It's it is too beautiful to it's to take. wonderful. Uh, I know. I mean, we we don't take time to these things to think about them. It is no. so beautiful. Yes. Our lives are filled with glory. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. There's that. <laughs> sorry, that Elizabeth Barrett Browning poem. Only those who see take off their shoes. Do you know oh, that? You know what I yeah. mean? So yeah. we're having a take off our shoes moment with you. Bless <laughs> you. So bring us up. Come on, bring us up. So um, up to, say, the year 2000. Yeah. Okay. So, right, come to the year 2000. And, oh. You're a midwife. You've got six children. Yes. Yeah. By this time, I I changed, actually. I I went into health visiting. The youngest child was coming up to school age. And after quite a lot of years in midwifery, I changed to health visiting. But I I was very fortunate um, that I... I had work in um, CAMS, Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, in or um, what you call child guidance, working in a parent-infant attachment team. Um, and that was brilliant because I was able to, to work in that very area, you know, looking at um, uh, young, young newish parents with their very young children, oh, yeah. um, even doing video work and, and helping people to... Um, to see that and helping people to to be there for their children you know it, it was it was really great work um but my own life was very difficult and um so when it came to the year 2000 um I think I was I'd been studying um Yes, I, I'm trying to think of the sequence of everything there. But I was studying, working, and trying to bring up these children. Um, areas, aspects were quite chaotic. And I remember it was Advent. And um, I had the children with me. We were sitting in, in those days, it was a long queue, <laughs> waiting to make our confessions. Um, and I remember sitting there, trying to focus and thinking, oh, Lord, you know, I've got so much to confess, but um, I'm also, you know, in the middle of so much chaos. And what came to me was, well, why are you trying to do it all yourself? <laughs> yeah. Why won't you let me? Have I ever let you down? Isn't it time that you handed back, that you actually, you know, completely gave gave in to me and let me take hold of your life uh, including family life actually as well because of great concern for these children in the midst of storms really and uh, as I sat there I knew that if I said yes it was going to be hard this is very strange because you know you have a feeling if I let God take over my life everything will work out and of, of course it will and it'll work out to in his way but Along that way, you know, you may have to pick up a cross. <laughs> and I knew it was quite clear. It was set before me, you know. Yeah. Um, say yes. I, I am calling you. Say yes. But this isn't going to be easy. Um, and what else can you say, really? 
you know when you when you see that gaze when you when you know who is there and you you've had that intuition mm-hmm. for a long time you, you just cannot um say no i mean it often it often intrigues me that the lord gives us choices yeah. but in some ways i think are they really choices you know could you really turn away like the rich young man and, and walk away um and incidentally jesus gazed on him so I, my story is that in the end he went back but anyway <laughs> 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 that's another story but um yes uh i said yes bless you and wonderful thinking everything changed from from then on it was really hard but in the end, things, as you said, now I look back at the signposts along the way from that point, um, everything worked to, to, to this end. To the, when I say to this end, I now live a life that's absolutely immersed in him. <laughs> like it or not, and with all its ups and downs, you know, it's, it's what um, Tim, my husband and I, live for so i can see now that that's where it was taking us but i knew it was going to be tough along the way um and it was but part of that journey was actually coming to carmel as well right Uh, so we just have another music break because um we i would like you to share how you met tim and uh, why you work together because you work together don't you of marriage preparation and stuff and he's you've been on a journey together and two more children have come but let's have another music break now Welcome back. This is Father Sam Randall. Uh, this is Awakenings Radio Mirror England, Awakenings Testimonies of Faith and Conversion. And I have with me Deborah. 
and she's been telling us about her journey into the Catholic Church and now um, into Carmel. And uh, so do tell us more, Deborah. Yes. Yeah, please. Yes. I'm, we're very interested. And also you've mentioned Tim. So he's come as a surprise. You need to tell oh, our yeah. listeners um, how you met Tim and yes. how your family's grown from six to eight. Yes. Well, it, it, it is all linked with Carmel. It's wonderful. And um, you, you brought me to another point of gratitude, really, where I find I'm thanking God again. So, yes, so I came to find a, a secular Carmelite community in Torquay, which I'm very grateful for, and um, went through the, the, the gradual process of, of formation. And then in 2006, um, I made my final promises in, in Carmel, in Torquay again. And Tim was invited there to take photographs. I didn't think a lot about it at the time, but I, I did know him as a, a teacher in Torquay. Um, that was, so that was 2006. So just to, for our listeners, if they're not Catholic, and what, would, what, what might that mean? So um, if, yes. because for lots of people, there's just sort of, say, lay people, and then there are people take religious vows. How, how does this work out for you? Yes. Right. Well, what it isn't, it's not living a monastic life at home. A secular Carmelite is a Carmelite, very much part of the, the community of Carmel, but living in the world. You know, I mean, I think Teresa Lavala said she couldn't understand how anybody could do that. And it is it is quite difficult. But your commitment really it's a commitment to, to prayer and to to living the Christian life. So we would expect to pray the office um, and we would try to um, go to Mass, if not daily, as often as possible. But also the, the important part is that commitment to prayer, um, that you have a time of silent prayer every day, you know, which was a great joy, but sometimes quite a difficulty. You are part of a community, so you're not living in community, but you, you do have a community, so you have that element of, of working together on this, mm. and that you are giving your prayer for the sake of the church and the world, it's not just about um, self-improvement or, you know, your own experience. It It is a giving. Um, you know, you might say, don't, don't ask what Carmel does for me. What what am I going to do for Carmel? So that that prayer, you, you understand that contemplative prayer um, is real and is, is really has an effect. Um, and that you're just a small part of that with the friars and the nuns, um, but you do have a place in that, um, and you do have their support and encouragement, and you're all part of that community. And then you bring this into your parish, into the church in general, into the world for the sake of the church and the world. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it should be an offering. And it takes quite a while um you, you know you you'll you'll have a period of inquiry and then you'll go into formation and then it'll be three years before you take temporary promises and then you take final promises um and it's a careful process of discernment because not everyone who who thinks they might do it ends up doing it you yeah. know so, uh, yeah. so you've also studied haven't you i mean in, in you know your interest in carmelites includes i think you did a master's didn't you Yes, well, I, I did the Masters at Maryvale Institute, um, and I'm trying to remember all my dates, but it, it did come alongside. Right. That was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience because, of course, it, you know, it's one of the homes of John Henry Newman, and the, there's the shrine to the Sacred Heart there, and, and the room where 
um, Newman sat looking into the chapel. So it was a great privilege to be able to study there. It was distance learning. So I was studying in the middle of my children. Of course. You, you know, you sort of study when you can. It's it, it, it's a bit difficult, but you know, we would go and spend weekends there. And by that time, um, the oldest children could hold the fort, so you know, it, it it was all right. And um, <laughs> that's great. It was um, a wonderful. Place you, you, um, just so our listeners know, it was a um, you studied. It was a dissertation on Therese of Lisieux yes, and her vocation di- of love. Yes, yes, it was. Um, her vocation to be love at the heart of the church. Yeah, wonderful. Um, what I was asking myself really is this possible for a secular Carmelite? You know, she was an enclosed nun and was, of course, love at the heart of the church. But, you know, can we also be love at the heart of the church? And um, yes, I, I think we can. <laughs> wonderful. So then we still don't know about Tim. No, let, let me. Yes, it, it does. As you said, it does dovetail together quite mm. well because um, he came and took the photographs um, on that occasion and then the following year I made a decision as a family we hadn't really had holidays it wasn't something I, I could afford but I made a decision as my eldest son was working by then and the others were um, the youngest was 11 and I thought I heard that there was going to be um, a parish holiday in uh, Villa Palazzola near Rome. And um, I thought about this and I thought, actually, it would be really good for them. You know, they're old enough to go and see Rome and I'd like to take them. And what a wonderful opportunity. And I spoke to my oldest son and um, we decided to go. And Tim was in another parish at that time, but he, he knew the person who was organising it and he'd been invited to come along and I remember meeting at, at a preliminary meeting and um, the children knew him, he'd, he'd, he'd taught some of them um, and didn't think much about it. Um, now he was widowed, he'd been widowed a couple of years and um, I think he was also discerning really what was God calling him to um, and I was very full of of Carmel and you know living as a Carmelite and, and living for Christ, very happy. Um, it was a, you know I, I felt very fulfilled in my life, and um, so we went to Palazzola. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but it, it's a beautiful. I, we arrived at this villa beside Lake Albano, and I looked out of the windows and. I could have wept. It was so beautiful. You know, it was it was incredible to be there. And the children were very excited and very happy. And I went to the first mass in, in the chapel, Our Lady of the Snows there. And I remember going up to receive Holy Communion and coming back to my seat, um, getting these words, accept the gift I'm giving you. Beautiful. <laughs> Sorry, it's very difficult not to cry here. but. Um, I remember going back and um, I would go and find a, you know, a quiet moment to go and pray in the chapel on my own later. And I kept a journal in those days and I'd pray in my office and saying, you know, Lord, is this the holiday is the gift? And of course I accept it. I, you know, I didn't really understand um, what accept the gift I'm giving you was. Um, and some days went by and um, 
as it happens with young people, our children um, became friends with each other, Tim and I. Um, that worked out really well. You know, they, they got on well. And sometimes we would eat together in the dining room. And uh, one evening, Tim said to me, because um, he knew I was going off to, to pray my office in the chapel on my own, he said, may I come and pray with you, you see? And I explained about the office and everything. And um, we went to the chapel. Um, and then he said um, that he, he he felt he was coming to love me. And I remember being totally... <laughs> How beautiful. <laughs> it was totally, and everything, again, things fall into place, don't they? Accept the gift. Um, I thought, oh, this wasn't in the plan. <laughs> you know, my, my plan was very much a, a, a single person plan. And um, I sort of panicked a little bit. And I said, please give me 24 hours and don't speak to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I will come back to the chapel um and 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 talk about it um now i don't know if i've got the sequence quite right here but we went to the angelus and pope benedict was a fairly new pope then and it was the feast of the transfiguration and i remember standing um to to hear the Angelus address, um, and standing with Tim, and a very light touch on my arm, and knowing somehow that the two of us in front of Pope Benedict, um, this this was it. You know that I was being told something here. Um, by the time we came back to the chapel, um, I knew really. I said. I understand. And what we said was, um, and, and I think it was Tim that said it, you know, somehow what we're being called to is, of course, it, it is love, but it's also ministry. And somehow the two were in there together. And we just got down on our knees and said, Lord, okay, show us you know, just lead us. We are completely in your hands. We are together, but in you and whatever you are calling us to, yes. Um, and it was just a yes, really, in um, in that chapel, Our Lady of the Snows, um, just to say yes. You know, it's quite amusing when I think of all the things that happened even after that. <laughs> but we did say yes, and we won't forget that. How soon after did you demarry? Um, so that was in the summer, and then the following summer, in on June the 30th, this month, um, we married back in Newton Abbott. We did think about <laughs> marrying at Pilot Solar, but no, we had so many people that we wanted to mm -hmm. share this with um, that we married back in my parish church, because um, it, it was a different one from Tim's. Um, we just about managed to squeeze everybody in. <laughs> and yes, June the 30th. 2007 but then it didn't get all go swimmingly did it oh no <laughs> tim was so desperately ill <laughs> i hope it wasn't a reaction to the marriage um yeah that that was uh so we had i suppose a matter of weeks and i carried on with the very demanding job i was doing and um 
by February, well, by Christmas, Tim was fading. And by February, I thought, you know, because February the 14th was the day I'd lost Emrys, and I thought, Lord, you know, <laughs> what's happening? You know, this this can't this can't happen. Um, he was desperately, desperately ill. And at that point, I gave up the work with the NHS. Um, and we, mm, strange, he, he had a, a consultant. He was in hospital at one point. Um, it wasn't helping. And I remember taking him out and taking him to Buckfast Abbey and saying, you know, we'll have a few days. We'll be alone here on retreat. And it, it was difficult to sort of get him in there. He was so poorly. And he turned the corner and began to recover. Yes, the other thing that made him recover was that he received, he said, I've had three sacraments at once, um, the sacrament of the sick and um, confession and communion. And thanks be to God, he began to recover. And, uh, yeah, life went on from there. But um, it became very eventful again. So. Yeah. So I think you started teaching then, didn't you? Having done an MA at Maryvale, you began to teach there. Yes. Well, um, I I was just an associate lecturer. So, you know, I, I lived at home. It was just um, the associate lecturers would go in on the um, uh, residentials the weekend and um, they asked me to do some work they were starting a new pathway in the MA on spirituality um, and I did also become involved in the marriage and family pathway as well with Tim no no Tim Tim wasn't involved in that no um, and I also wrote a course book and um, so it it was something I did from home, but went into the residentials, and, and it was always wonderful to be to be back in Maryvale. I remember one of the most joyful things was to be in that chapel, and the Bridgetine sisters were always so hospitable and so lovely. They they were a, you know, one of the most beautiful things about Maryvale. So it it was a, it was a retreat. It was a it was a place to study, a place to retreat. Um, and a place to share faith. And it, it, it nurtured me because, as I said, not having had a Catholic upbringing, going to Maryvale began to introduce me to other parts of being a Catholic that I had no idea about. It's very strange because when I became a Catholic years ago, it felt a bit like swimming against the tide because I seemed to be encountering people who were going in the opposite direction. And, um, you know, I remember somebody saying to me, "Don't we don't convert anymore, we converge, you know. Um, and yet, no, that, that didn't feel right. When I got to Maryvale, I think it was the first time, I'm ashamed to say this, but it had been the first time that I'd actually really begun to read um, the documents of the church um, and thought, oh, but this is stunning. Yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. So exciting. You know, again, coming from outside, I thought, but look what the church is teaching. Um, I realised how much... I got wrong, you know, I'd sort of thought, well, you, you know, you do what you want or you choose. And I thought, actually, it's not about choosing. There is a truth. There is a right way. And I might not be there, but I can see where it is and I can head towards it. Um, and, you know, reading some of the writing, I said, you know, John Paul II um, mm. into the new millennium. Um, and again, you know, the link with my experience in, in Carmel was just it was 
again, another door opened up into a world I hadn't been aware of. So I thought, oh, I don't think I knew how to be Catholic, and now I'm going to start learning. So it was another learning journey, really. As I say, it's taken me a long, long time. Oh, we're still on that journey. Um, yeah. Deborah, it's been so beautiful. Have you got some final words for our listeners? <laughs> we're, we're heading towards a mass, so uh, yeah. do you have some final words? Oh, just, I suppose gratitude is my word. You know, that that whatever happens, you know, what we give to him, he will make such wonderful you know he would make it so wonderful so there is so much to be grateful for so thanks be to god yeah i think uh, uh, look out be aware and accept yeah. the gift the sacred yeah. gaze is so beautiful it's such a lovely lovely thank you for bringing that thank you for sharing with us your wonderful story of journey into the catholic church into carmel and into the depths and riches of our wonderful church i wonder if i could close with a prayer deborah Oh, please, yes. Yeah, let's pray. Father, you are our God from whom all good things come. Grant that we, when we call on you in any need, may at your promptings discern the good and the right and the beautiful. And by your guiding hand, Lord, follow that way. We offer this prayer and we pray for Deborah and Tim and their ministry and all that they do and their lovely family through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Deborah, thank you so much for sharing with us. Um, listeners, there's so much more we could have said with Deborah. <laughs> She's so involved in the church as an evangelist with family work. Uh, through uh, Carmelite community, um, extraordinary marriage preparation, um, some of the wonderful things. Go on the website and look them up. She's pioneered family prayer boxes in the diocese, and she's um, part. She's working in Plymouth Diocese and um, evangelism. And it's lovely to hear that her wonderful sacred gaze has, is a, is part of a doctoral thesis. So we may yet be able to buy Deborah's book on the sacred gaze. Is that right, Deborah? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, bless you. Thank you for being with us. And thank you for being with us, Deborah and I listeners, uh, to this Awakenings episode. May God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Awakenings with Father Sam Randall. 